Every weekend you hear us talk about our vision up front here. We say that uh, we're focused on reaching those who feel far from God, helping them to become uh, disciples uh, of Jesus Christ, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, making disciples, building families, and transforming communities. And from time to time I get questions around what exactly does transforming community mean? And in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at it in some detail uh, in a few moments, but in the second chapter, there's a couple of verses there that are pretty remarkable. They talk about the early church uh, in a season of prayer, uh, falling under the conviction that they needed to sell their possession and their property, and really begin to create this huge public fund that at the end of the day communicated that God loved Everybody, everybody shout everybody, everybody, and tons and tons of people came, and as a result of that, there was this reverberating witness that happened all around Jerusalem. Uh, We want to do, we want to create a reverberating witness that's happening around, that will happen around the Bay Area, through how we get out beyond these walls and meet the needs of people. And for the last year and a half, we've been trying to figure out how to do that in the most effective way. Uh, And not only do we want a witness that goes out, but we want our own faith and faithfulness deepened by the experience. And so Evelyn is going to come and share with us exactly how we intend to do that. Just come on, let's give God a hand praise for our director again. So as Pastor Herman mentioned, we pull this from the book of Acts in Acts 2. And so if we move to the next slide, I can just read this for you. This is the the early church. And so it says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And so this verse, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, that really shapes the heart of transforming communities. There are passages throughout the Bible that share this, but this is just one of them. We're hoping that our church will be one where we can pool our resources and our talent and our time and share it with those in this community and outside of our walls who are in need. And so as Pastor Herman said, Um, If we move to the next slide, and the next one, (laughs) we want to be a transformative Christian witness that reverberates throughout the Bay Area while we grow in our own faith and faithfulness. And so you may have seen me up here talking about transforming communities. Um, We've done projects with schools and um, with homeless organizations and nonprofits in the past. And so, but under the, behind the scenes, we've been doing a lot of work researching and doing things, trying to figure out how we're gonna get more involved. And so where have we come from? You might remember that last summer I asked, we went through our life groups and we asked you to share in answer to this question. When you think about the pressures, issues, and challenges facing families in your community, what makes you angry or causes you pain? And in your life groups and through what we called house meetings, last summer we gathered hundreds of responses to this, quest- to this question. Um, and we came to the top five, which are education and equity, homelessness, affordable housing, youth death by suicide, and mental health. And as I see people nodding their heads out there, I think we have all been connected or touched in some way by one of these five issues. And they are all interrelated. 
And so my Transforming Communities team, which is comprised all of volunteers from this community, went out and researched these five issues. They looked at data and statistics. They looked at what organizations are already doing work in this area. And then they presented the pastors with recommendations on how we might intervene. And so they ended up presenting over 100 pages of research and over 60 resources that we, will, we could start with. And so we've decided that we're going to move forward with education. Now, many of you, oh, we can applaud that, sure. <laughs> what, you, what you might not know is that education in California is not that great. So as much, the students um, are really, a lot of students are really struggling. So across the state, more than half are, are um, their test scores are below proficient, more than half. And then that, those statistics get even greater when you look at low-income students and low-income students of color. And so it, it is just astronomical how much of an impact and intervening in education can make a difference. Um, and so we're looking at K through five and K through eight education uh, because that's really where it starts. And the next slide shows just a roadmap of where, where the students are, which we call from cradle to career. So there are a lot of milestones, a few different milestones throughout their time in school that really make a difference. So one of them, um, two that we're going to focus on, is third grade reading. So this is at the elementary level. And what they say is leading up to third grade, you are learning to read. And then after third grade, you're reading to learn. And so if you have not learned and you're not up to par by third grade, you're always catching up and you're always behind. And another milestone is in middle school, so middle school math. Algebra is the gateway for getting into college and pursuing a higher, higher degree. And so these, some, there are different pivot points up there, and we're going to focus on elementary and middle school math. Um, and what that's actually going to look like goes beyond academics. And so we're going to do what is called wraparound services. And so the next slide shows different needs that these stakeholders have. We're looking beyond just the student. We're looking at students, parents, teachers, and admin to meet a variety of needs. So before these students even come to school, they're struggling with physiological needs. And this is, are they coming to school hungry? Do they have a sustainable place to live? Um, for teachers, do they have a place to live? A lot of teachers are... Um, driving an hour, two hours away just to come to school and teach. And so what we saw is that the school really is a community where you end up seeing a lot of these issues, the five issues that I mentioned before, where you end up seeing homelessness and affordable housing. You see issues of mental health and emotional wellness all within the school. So beyond the physiological needs, we want to help um, partner alongside the emotional needs. And this is what I was talking about with mental health. And then finally coming in with academic needs. So whether that's helping with after-school tutoring or summer programs, there's a variety of things that we can do to help the whole child with these wraparound services to ensure that they're getting the best education. And so we're going to end up partnering with one to two schools here in the Bay Area um, and and partnering alongside them, working with other nonprofits and helping to provide these services. So what's coming next? Um, my team is already moving forward and looking at what schools we might partner with. So we'll be doing that process over the spring. In the summer, we'll come back and announce to you who those partners are. And then in the fall, we'll kick them off with a three-year partnership. And so we're looking long-term. This is not change that's going to happen overnight. We're also not looking to be a church that comes in and leaves right away. We're looking at really long-term and deep systemic impact. 
Um, and so we wanna keep you inside of this process. The next slide shows um, the districts that we're starting with. We took um, where the congregation lives and the, huge, the hugest concentrations of where people live and mapped those against school districts. And so these are the top nine school districts based on where people in our congregation live. And you can see it goes as far north as Redwood City, as far south as several districts in San Jose. And we'll be matching those schools and the districts against um, data like percentage of free and reduced lunch. Um, we'll be meeting with the school leadership to see who might be the best fit for us. So how can you help right now? Um, we wanna know if you are involved in education. So the question is, do you currently work or volunteer in education in the Bay Area? And if that's you out there, and we, we, we would love you to respond. So if you would take your connection card and in the response to the message section of the card, if you just write the word education, then my team would love to get in touch with you. We'll be at the table out in the lobby after the gathering if you have any questions or you wanna come chat with us. Um, but that's where we're at. I'll invite Pastor Herman up. All right. Is that exciting or what? Praise God. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge Evelyn and her team who has led us through this entire process. Can we give God a hand praise for Evelyn? It's outstanding. Well done, Evelyn. Outstanding. Outstanding. Now, listen. Uh, the point I want to... I just want to let you know that... Uh, the reason I'm so, compa so passionate about this is that I've, I've seen this work. I know uh, how God can use the church to literally change cities and entire Bay Area. Many of you have heard me talk about uh, my work in Massachusetts as the pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church. I'll do a quick summary uh, for those who may not be as familiar with it. Uh, while I was in uh, Boston, our church uh, adopted a school at that time. It was called the Dearborn Middle School. There's a picture that's going to pop up uh, on the screen. It was about to be closed down. It was one of the worst schools uh, in the district. It was located in our neighborhood. We convinced uh, our superintendent not to close it down. We pulled together a coalition of organizations and challenged the district to dream afresh with us. As a result of that, uh, we uh, came up with this STEM uh, concept, the Dearborn STEM School, uh, ultimately, which would transfer from being uh, a middle school of 300 kids struggling in the neighborhood to a STEM school of 900 kids, ultimately. We went to the state and convinced the state to appropriate uh, $50 million for a brand new uh, facility. That budget has now grown to $75 million. We went to the city council and convinced them to appropriate about 30 million, I think it's 36 million dollars uh, now. And when one of the teachers who were uh, at the school had been there for 20 years uh, heard about uh, the new project and the funding of it, and she said these words, she says, I've been here for 20 years, I've seen a lot of starts and stop and had a lot of false promises. I've never seen this kind of progress until the church came. And uh, that's what we mean by reverberating witness around the bear. Come on, let's celebrate that. That's just good news. Extraordinary. I called my successor the other day and, uh, and uh, just wanted to get an update. Uh, they tell me that the building is 46% completed in terms of the construction is happening as we speak. Uh, 
that. Uh, and another thing that kind of just blew my socks off, and I got nice socks to blow off, uh, <laughs> is that uh, she told me that the architects have confirmed that this is the first school building in the nation that has been constructed from the ground up designed to deliver a STEM program, science, technology, engineering, and math. The very first in the nation. We could not have seen that when we got started, but God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or even imagine. Come on, let's celebrate. Praise God. Now, here's what's exciting. That was a congregation of about 120 people with a, with a, with a vision uh, that believed God for the impossible. Look around you. We're about close to a community of 1,100 plus adults plus our kids. Do you believe that God can use us to make a difference in this Bay Area? If you do, let's give God a hand praise. Come on. All right. Tell, you, tell the person next to you, but it starts with prayer. Tell them. All right, so what I want to do here is really a, a couple of things. Uh, so let's throw up Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I want to just continue this discussion of prayer, but I want to do it kind of in dialogue with this rollout that we're doing today because what I described in Boston started and was nurtured through prayer. What we're starting today is, is being nurtured through prayer, and none of us can truly connect to it until God really begins to deal with our hearts in prayer. So Ephesians uh, 1, everybody stand, let's read this together. I, I'll read the bulk of it, but I want you to help me with the last sentence. I'll tell you where to come in at. Paul is writing, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, uh, everybody say this part with me, starting with so, say it with me, so that you may amen. God. That's what we want. Ignite our souls as we wrestle with this notion of prayer because we want to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now what I want to do is work through the first couple of chapters of Acts, uh, but I want to do it in a way to continue to give us some practical insight on uh, both the power and the practice of prayer. And I want to kind of do it in dialogue uh, with uh, how we got to this point going forward. Uh, if you, so the big ideal today, the big idea today is simply uh, that prayer is powerful. Shout powerful. powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful, powerful. If you can release it in your life. Now, prayer begins with conversation. And this is a basic point that we all know. If you're in relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife, some significant other, and if the dialogue drops out, you're so busy that you're not talking, somebody at some point will say this, I feel like I don't know you because we don't talk anymore. The fact of the matter is the absence of dialogue weakens the relationship because as individuals we keep growing and, trans and, and changing uh, and we, if we don't stay in dialogue, in conversation with one another, we miss those transitions and those changes. We don't fully know the person. The intimacy is not there. But I also read the other day an interesting little insight. It says that there's a lot of dating happening now online. 
And here's the insight says that, uh, you know, and a lot of people are falling in love online. You know, this is possible, you know, people are dating all across the country, across the Bay Area, whatever, whatever. They don't see these people in person, right? It's just online. And so, you know, when you're online, you show the other person the picture you want them to see. <laughs> Both literally and figuratively, right? <laughs> So, some of us pulling out pictures five years ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but at some point, you have to meet the person, right? And what the, what the article says is that when people, you know, they connect with these people that they've been talking with over a long time, so there's lots of dialogue, but then they meet them and they get in a relationship with them, and then the relationship falls apart. And the reason why the relationship falls apart is because it's one thing to talk to you. It's a whole nother thing to do life with you, to experience life with you. Because in the experience of life, I learned some things about you that I might have not learned online. So the teaching of this insight is is that prayer, if I shout prayer, Prayer at its best, it starts in dialogue. It starts in conversation with God. But it's not fully realized until we move to the part where it it is a part of our experience. That we're literally doing life with God. And it helps us to create what I call deep, prayerful lives. So let's see this as it works its way through Scripture very quickly. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us a a, a couple of quick things. One, it tells us that Jesus on the other side of his suffering, that word represents his death, crucifixion, crucifixion, resurrection, showed himself uh, with a variety of ways, a variety of proofs to folk for about 40, 40 days. So for 40 days... A group of about 500 people encountered the resurrected uh, Lord in a variety of ways. So that's the first thing, that he's alive, he lives. Folk figure that out. Secondly, he taught them afresh about the kingdom of God. In light of the fact that I am uh, risen from the grave, what does that mean? Which started the process of his disciples at some point. They would take those stories and those lessons and turn them into what we now call the New Testament, Scripture. So, the insight from that is, that Luke wants us to know, because he's the writer of Acts, is that prayer starts with a dialogue with God, but it also moves into a dialogue with Scripture, because the way we come to know God, even God in Jesus Christ, is through Scripture. Everybody shout, the Word of God. It's grounded there. It should be grounded there. So we saw this in our own process. For example, when Evelyn uh, started to work with this process to figure out where we're going to move, and she was working with me, she ran across a passage that the Lord just spoke to her through. It was Jeremiah 29 and 7. We're going to look at it together. It's a powerful passage that in her study, in her reflection, Uh, She engaged this passage, and she took it into her small group. Look at what it says. It says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city. Everybody shout, work. Work. 
See, that's the experience. For the peace and prosperity of the city, where I've sent you in exile, and pray to the Lord for it. Everybody shout, pray. For its welfare is determined, its welfare will determine. If young people are not doing well, if half of them are not achieving their academic standards across the state of California, which is pretty astounding, then that means uh, they're dropping out of school, and that means that they are uh, not making good spouses. That means that they're moving into prisons. That means that they're addictive cycles. Uh, it impacts our welfare. Pray and work for the city. Everybody shout work. work. Shout pray. pray. And so what Evelyn did was in her, in her personal devotion, she began to wrestle with what does this mean? And then she took this into her team group meeting and they begin to wrestle what does this mean for the life of the church here's my point in your private time it ought to begin with scripture perhaps it's starting reading through the gospel of John or perhaps it's in the Psalms you don't try to read a whole lot but you just start with a section to begin or maybe you take the message that I preach and the passage that I use and then during the course of the week you engage that and you begin to ask yourself the question what God what are you saying to me through this passage and God will begin to stir your heart and prayer begins to emerge dialogue that is begins to emerge out of that place starts with scripture the second thing so dialogue with God and dialogue with scripture but the third thing that we find in verse 4 is that then Jesus says and I want you to go to Jerusalem I want you to stay in Jerusalem and I want you to wait. Everybody shout, wait. wait. I want you to wait until the gift that the Father has promised will come, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's uh, Acts 1-4. This reminds us that Christian prayer, while it's important that we pray it individually, get up in the morning or during noonday, or we have a special place for us to pray and dialogue with God, it also reminds us that Christian prayer takes on a different life when we pray in community. So you look at verse 3 and 4, you see the emphasis on them. And, and Jesus says, for them to go. In verse 14 of that same chapter, it talks about how the community has gathered together and that they are in continued prayer. Everybody shout, together. Put that 14, verse 14 up on there. Verse, for chapter 1, verse 14 of Acts. Together. Everybody, it's together. It's Acts 1, 14. Drop it up on the screen, please. They're working on it. There it is. Uh, they all met together. Shout together. Yeah. In prayer. There's a power that happens. When two or three or four people get together and begin to share with God. Now, another section of prayer is, is it suggests that Jesus said, go and wait. So we talked a little bit about this last week, that there is a part of prayer that invites us into a season of waiting and wrestling. Everybody say waiting. waiting. Say wrestling. 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 And so for the next 10 days, we know it was 10 days because it's 50 days between Passover and the Pentecost. Jesus showed himself for 40 days. So the next 10 days, 
the, 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 about 120 people in this upper room, and they're engaged in this place of waiting continually in prayer. So let me just give you some quick examples. The, if you were reading that in Greek, in the, in the actual little language, it would say they were, they were continually in the prayer. Everybody say the prayer. That's one way that Luke talks about this. And some people think that what he was referring to is the All Father prayer. So let's go to Matthew chapter 9 verse, uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. And you have some prayer principles there that I just want to quickly remind you of. A lot of us remember the All Father prayer, but actually they are principles. So it begins with our Father. Does it say my Father? What does it say? Our Father, Father, which reinforces this notion of community. Hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. So on Monday, you could just focus on one of the ways to think about God's holiness and his name is to think about the different roles that God plays in the world and in your life. And that's what we call praise. I talked about this last week, that he's full of power, that he's the creator. And you can just give God praise for who he is. Then on Tuesday, another way of thinking about his name is how God has acted in your life. And so that's taking time to make a list. I told you last week, a Thanksgiving list. What are the things that God has done in your life, over your life, even over the course of the week, that has, been, that, that, that has demonstrated his grace and his love? And you just spend time on Tuesday not asking him for anything, but thanking him. That's a pretty big deal, right? And then, uh, and then there is, so that's, hallowed be thy name. And then comes, thy kingdom come. That's, that's this notion of intercession. That's, that's God, let your kingdom, let your rule be established in the lives of the world around me, beginning with myself and with my kids and with my church and with the community. That's where you begin to pray for God to release his power in the lives of other folks. You can do that on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, it's petition. That's where I lay before God. Here's the concerns of my heart. Here's the things that I'm trying to, trying to work out in my life. Here's the things I'm trying to figure out. That's, that's petition. And then lastly, there's forgiveness. Everybody shout forgiveness. Shout confession. All right, here's, here, here's the deal. Forgive us our debts. Well... In order for us to ask him to forgive us our debts, our sins, we have to remember them. Tell the person next to you, you have to remember them. Tell them. <laughs> we don't like to do this, but it, it, it suggests that, you know what, I take some time and I identify. And I just come clean with God and I just go to Lord, here's where my attitude, here's where my actions have been out of line with And then you receive God's grace and forgiveness. So that is part of what we see uh, as we think about it. Now, if you engage God, you should expect God to respond. Shout expectation. For example, if I call my wife, I expect her to answer. If I call my children, I don't expect them to answer. <laughs> Even though I pay their bills. <laughs> So part of, of engaging God in prayer, whether in groups or in, in, as individuals, 
is that, that, that I want to know God's heart. I don't just want his hand. It's not just about what I want to get from God. I want to know what's, what's, what, what is it that moves God. I want to know how God is calling me to line up with his, with his will, with his plan in life. I, I, I want to know his heart. So if I'm engaging God in any of these avenues that I'm talking about, I should expect God to respond. I, I, I should expect God to answer if, in fact, I pray. But God answers in a variety of ways. And so that brings us to what I call listening and discerning, which is a part of the process of prayer. Now, here's what I want to do. Where's the, uh, I want to call this kind of the circle prayer. This is what Evelyn and I worked through. Little thing that I talk. Boy, that's a pretty good circle, isn't it? Can somebody take a picture? That's really good. <laughs> I'm surprised. All right. There's prayer and reflection, there is action, there's reaction. And it goes back to prayer and reflection. Now, here's what Evelyn was describing. Here's what, here's, we can do it, we do it, but here's something we can practice in our own life. And I'll talk about it. So she started with that verse, Jer- Jeremiah 29, 7, with her team. Thinking, okay, what, what is it in this place of prayer and reflection? What, what is God calling us to do? What are the issues God is calling us to engage with? Well, out of that, they develop a process where let's, go, let's, let's act on what we know. Let's not wait on what we don't know. Let's act on what we know. So let's drive a process through our groups where we're asking the question that she raised. What is it that's causing you pain? Well, when we drove that process to the group, that was still part of prayer. We, we were prayerfully trying to engage how is God going to speak to us? And then the groups reacted, the group created a reaction. They responded with several hundred ways in which, in which they are hurtful and, and the, the social issues are challenging them. Uh, and then we drove that back into prayer and reflection and began to pray. But this whole process is a prayerful process. And this is about getting to know him better. And they went back and they took those names and they, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to identify five. And then they went back into action again. This is a prayerful process, but they're, they're, they're believing that God is going to engage them as they talk to sent these five teams out to talk to all these different people. And then there was a reaction that they got some information back and they came back in. And then another part of that prayer reflection brought us out to the mission, to the education strategy that we're putting before you today. But all of this is prayer. It's not just my sitting in a closet saying, God, I praise you, God. I thank you, God. I need, from, I need to hear from you. It is when I leave the closet, I leave with a prayerful attitude. I'm expecting to run into God in the conversations that I'm having. I'm expecting God to respond to my request. And what I hear from God, I act on, take it back into prayer process of prayer and reflection now we see this in the book of Acts as we get ready to bring this to a close uh, in the book of Acts so they were up in that upper room 
first four verses of chapter 2. And they're praying. And verse 4 says, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills all of them. And then from that perspective, Peter is not fully knows what to do, but, but it says they begin to speak in these other tongues. In other words, they begin to speak in a language that outsiders could understand. Folk who were not a part of that little group in the house could understand what they were speaking. When the, when the church learned to speak in a language that outsiders can understand, nobody, not a lot of folk is interested in when will the rapture come? But when we talk about the fact that half of the student population across the state is performing below grade average, I think that's a language that outsiders Amen. can understand. Right. And so, and so, and so, uh, uh, so Peter got up and he, and he, he then delivered a message that actually mattered to outsiders, right? He said to them, you killed the person Jesus, but you just didn't know in him was redemption for the world, for you and for your family. And guess what? He rose again. And if you believe it, he'll bring you into that story. That message mattered to them. And then came a reaction. Everybody shout reaction. A reaction. And verse 41 says, 3,000 folk believe the message. And when those 3,000 people believed the message, it came back into prayer reflection. How do y'all know this? Well, verse 42 says that the disciples said that the people were devoted to four things. The teaching of the apostles, fellowship, sharing of, of uh, meals, and prayer. But that didn't just happen. If you wake up all of a sudden with 1,000, with 3,000 plus people now part of your organization, you got to ask the question, what are we going to do with them? So they went back into prayer and reflection, and that's where those four things came out of. And then the people get back engaged in that action. Here's one wonderful little tidbit. This is what I find so powerful. In that day, this notion about being in fellowship and, and sharing food, in that day, in Jerusalem, folk didn't eat together. Rich folk didn't eat with poor people. Jews didn't eat with Gentile groups. Women separate from men in terms of grouping. But in this church that are exploding as a part of the reaction, people started meeting in folk homes and there were no distinctions. Men and women and rich and poor, kind of like sitting here in these pews. Everybody ended up in the same, kind of like our small groups. For all these different folk ended up in different people's homes. And this was already revolutionary, but this is a process coming out of the power of a praying community. A power that is actually being transformational. And, and not only was it revolutionary, when they got in these homes, they started telling their stories. And so somebody started telling the widow, talk about this, you know, since her husband has died, she's going to end up on the street. And the community is listening. And somebody said, I'm coming out of prison, but I don't have a place to stay. And the community are listening. And, 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 and inside those small groups, they begin to ask the question, what does our relationship with Jesus dictate we do with these people in need? And it's out of that comes the decision to sell property and possessions to make a difference. Now, do you notice in the text, did a preacher tell them to sell their property and possession? 
Some of y'all scared to answer because your basic experience is usually that's what preachers do. It's not in the text. No. Didn't do it. Did a law demand that they sell their property and possessions? Come on, you can say it. Come on. No. Some of you think, well, I'm not sure. No. It's not in the law. What happened? Well, they said that they were they did communion every week. You know, the, the, the Lord's Supper was a part of that. And what I believe happened is that as they, as they wrestled with Jesus' death and resurrection, and they wrestled with the needs among them, they began to wrestle with, you know, their own uh, a, a commitment. And they began to say, you know, how does my relationship with my property and my possession and my money square to my relationship with Jesus? And I think there was a spirit of conviction and people out of a place of confession said, you know what? God has, has blessed me with resources to help other people. And it's out of that place of conviction. And so you see a real transformation happening in the life. So here's my point. I'm excited about the whole educational thing, but at the end of the day, unless I can get you actually engaged in prayer and then stepping out on faith in terms of what you hear God is saying, do, and then let's see what the reaction is going to be, and then praying again until I can get you to stretch like that, we can't get to that, that final point because, because God needs to start transformation happening in my, in your, in our lives. Say to the person next to you, he's talking to you. <laughs> so, next week we come together, we're going to practice this thing called prayer. The most powerful force on earth. Give God a hand praise. So take out your connection card. And you already, if you're connected to the educational strategy, uh, you've already indicated, you put in what Evelyn asked you to put in education. Here's what I want. Last week I asked you, just step by step, I asked you last week, I said, hey, pick a place and a time that you're going to use for prayer, but you don't have to pray, just pick a place and a time. A place and a time. Maybe it's a chair, it's a room. Get a place and a time and designate it. Put it on your calendar. And if you didn't do that, you can still do it this today and this week. And I challenge you to do that. Because until we start practicing this, and I, I, I just, I'm telling you, as we start opening ourselves up to, to, to God in prayer, God will do some stuff we can't even imagine. But you got to take that first step of faith. So today I'm asking you, assuming that you've got a place and a time to pray. Today I want to ask you to, for this week, I want you to read through. Because I said it starts with dialogue with scripture. Psalms 1. And I want to see how does that spark prayer in your life. Just for about 15 minutes. All right. So I want you to read through Psalms 1 three times over the course of this week. Everybody say Psalms 1. The first time I want you to read through, I want you to read through asking the question, what is God saying to the, to the folk who's the audience for the song? song? What is he saying? Just literally, what is he saying to the Jewish community? The second time you read through it, I want you to ask the question, 
What might God be saying to me? And what might God be showing me about me as I read through this psalm? If you've got a journal, you can write this down, or you can just begin the dialogue with God about the first and the second. And then the third time you read through it, I want you to ask the question, what might God be saying about the church that I'm a part of, the community of faith that I'm a part of? And if you've got a journal, you can start writing some of those things down, or you can just start dialoguing with God about that. And then we'll see you here next week uh, to cap this off with a prayerful experience. Shout amen.